Dr. Jonathan Trevor, thanks for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. You're an expert in human resource management. When we talk about effective human resource management, what do we mean? Well, Bonnie, so the theory goes that effective human resource management would be defined as having, uh, in the current context of corporations and and growth and governance, as having, uh, in a sense, Uh, organizations, people, their human resources aligned in terms of their behaviors and their effort to the corporate goals of the organization, uh, be it a private sector organization or a public sector organization. Uh, So in particular, let me give you an example. If we are an innovation-based firm, we ideally want our people to behave in a way that is creative, uh, perhaps also risk-taking. If we are a cost-based firm, which is to say we differentiate ourselves from the competition on the base of cost, we don't want people being creative. We don't want them taking risks. We want them to do exactly what they're told uh, as they fit into the production process. Really, is just one step of the production process. So effective human resource management in that sense means having the right strategy in the context of the corporate strategy overall, having the right practices in place, having the right people, and consequently having the right human resource outcomes, which principally are um, attraction, retention, motivation of value, talent, productivity, performance, and best of all, from a strategic perspective, complementary behaviours. So you're basically saying we don't want a a square peg in a round hole that, say, if you want a creative environment, your staff might turn up in jeans and and look a bit alternative. If we're a firm of accountants, we want them in a suit and a tie. Well, I think you've, um, I mean, in a sense, you're right, but you've you've sort of fallen on a very, you know, one of the most manifestly uh, uh, visible aspects of of having the right people. And, And let's look beyond merely the superficial. What it really means is having the right people, the right form of human capital for your organization, for your customers, and ultimately for your, for your organizational goals, what, whatever they may be, um, and ensuring that those people are motivated, uh, but also understanding or, or making sure that they have um, expectations of performance that align with what the corporation and the organization needs, uh, and also standards of behavior. Now, if that means that they dress in a suit versus jeans, that's maybe one aspect, but the bigger aspect is, are they committed, are they loyal, um, and are they prepared to exhibit what we uh, in the trade would call discretionary effort, which is to say, instead of being told to do something, they rather internalize the motivation and do it for themselves without supervision uh, or without direction. Um, so the issue is really one of, at the moment, as we understand it, one of alignment. There is a presumption that one can manage human resources for value, given that one can, one should. And what that really looks like is having alignment between the overall organizational strategy, uh, the human resources strategy, human resources practices and consequently human resources outcomes Um, and that's really where we are so it's one of alignment to strategy really. And can you then measure this effectiveness can you measure the alignment of strategy would you look at things like well do our workforce really know what our our goals and our our motivations are Um, Richard Branson a virgin you know there's um, goals that come up on the computer screen when people log in in the morning. Well, I mean, you know, that's an excellent point. And indeed, this this plays to a, a really big debate, certainly both within academic scholarly circles, but also practitioner circles as well. So it's an often, um, often heard statement that uh, human resources or our people are our most important assets. Well, you know, thinking about people as as assets is something that really has only been around for the last 20 years. And we're still coming to terms with what that really means. And, and part of that coming to terms with it means understanding what is the value of our people as assets to the organization. Um, How do you define success? How do you measure that success? And in particular, 
if you are managing people, your people, human resources for value, um, how do you know when you've got it right? And I mean, there are available a whole range of, of metrics that organisations use. Uh, there are a number of service-based organisations out there wanting to help corporations, other organisations assess the value of their people. But from a scholarly perspective, from a research perspective, um, in a sense, understanding the contribution of, of, of good human resource management or effective human resource management to the bottom line is especially problematic um, and really we find it uh, you know theoretically conceptually but also practically extremely difficult to understand precisely what the nature of that value is and how it's best measured um, and as a consequence you know we are all of us striving for evidence that actually these things do make sense we believe they make sense uh, there's, there's widespread consensus that people matter um, but how they matter and in what, what way um, and, and, and how, in a sense, how well organisations um, manage people for value um, is, is really the, the jury's still out on that. Um, yeah. Well, because then you could say the converse is true. If you can measure something that's effective in terms of human resource management, you might even say that ineffective human resource management will lead to a lack of competitiveness, might even make losses. What do you think happened in the banks? You know, people were motivated, but they seem to be motivated by one thing, money. Well, I mean, the, the, this is absolutely interesting, and I think this brings us right to the, the front of the debate. So we all of us still striving to understand the relationship between in a sense, effective human resource management practice and then the outcomes associated. And there is a relationship and that relationship is discrete and we really struggle to understand it. But all of the discourse around the issue of human resource management, uh, of people in organisations and indeed governance, performance, all of these things which are, are now very much the watchwords in the, in the current environment, um, are really all about the additive um, uh, potential or, or, of, of people. What none of it focuses on is the risks um, of, 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 in a sense, managing people poorly. So, for example, all of the discourse at the moment is on this is, you know, you need to get it right and this is how you get it right. And there are very many people out there prepared to tell you it's not always obvious how you know when you've got it right. But none of the, the, none of the discourse is really around, well, what happens if you get it wrong? Instead of, in a sense, not performing as well as one might, actually, uh, maybe the issue is if you get it wrong, it's positively destructive. Um, so, do, do you think the banks did that? Do you think that actually, because we've been looking at the financial instruments and what they invested in, do you think they got the human resource element wrong from the boardroom down of the structure of their organisations, hence it made them vulnerable to a collapse in tough times? Well, Bonnie, I'm, I'm going to be controversial and everyone describes this as being a, a, a financial crisis. Uh, it's not at all. It is a human capital or human resource management crisis. Um, the world is uh, the world of finance, the world of organisations uh, is the world that we create. And in part, the decisions that were made, um, uh, the structures that incentivize behaviours, uh, uh, the controls and checks uh, all of the things that we seem to, well, we believe were missing or, or precipitated the current financial crisis, uh, in a sense, all of that was within the gift of people, employees, uh, or stakeholders, at least, in the, the wider macroeconomic process around value creation in, in particularly Western economies. Um, and, and, and they, in effect, were human resources. Now, why did they behave in the way that they did? Um, and how much of that is down to the way in which they were managed. And so, for me, this is not a financial crisis. It may have financial implications, uh, but actually it was a human resources failure or a series of failures 
um, in how people were managed uh, in a number of organisations, in particular in financial organisations, that really precipitated uh, what we're experiencing right now. So what was wrong with the management? Uh, I think a number of things, and I think that's a question that we'll be asking ourselves over the next five to ten years. And I very much hope that we are, in a sense, have the opportunity to to critically reflect, and we are critical of ourselves and and, and, uh, perhaps the status quo uh, prior to the financial crisis. But a couple of examples. Um, The use of incentives, for for example... Um, we read a lot in the papers at the moment and in the media about uh, uh, executive incentives, um, uh, fat cap bonuses, payment for failure, uh, corruption, abuse of privilege, and so on and so on, and in particular in relation to perhaps, say, Sir Fred Goodwin. Um, you know, from a political or a public populist point of view, uh, it almost seems abhorrent. Uh, um, and one reads an awful lot about that, but, but actually that's relatively small beer, I believe. Uh, the bigger issue is um, how do we employ people? And if you look at just the financial sector, uh, in the case of the US, it is absolutely the case that insurance agents were incentivized to sell mortgages to people they knew could not afford to pay them back. Now, I mean, that's grossly simplistic, but essentially that, that therein lies part of the problem. Um, and then also, you know, some of the financial models that were... Um, were selling on of consolidated debt and so on. Uh, all of these practices were as the result of, of, in a sense, people creating uh, value because they were incentivized to create value where actually there was none in the first place. So, so you might say it lacked now, so it lacked common sense. Anybody could have told you the people selling the instruments, that people couldn't pay it back. You know, th- this was almost a human capital fraud. Does it take you back to the days of the Wilson government in the late 1970s and the so-called winter of discontent when you know, rubbish was piling up on the streets, i.e. that, that you, you have a crisis of almost faith in the labour market. Well, I, I think there's a whole load of issues in that. And if I, if I may, I'm going to backtrack just a second. I think fraud is the wrong term. Um, let, let's, fraud implies uh, premeditated behaviour, uh, a crime in effect. And, and that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is almost something akin to the concept of groupthink. We, as people, uh, as employees, as organisations, become so structured in a way of doing things that uh, we perhaps lose touch with reality or the reality as it is perceived by others or indeed uh, the ramifications downstream. I mean, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but what's certainly obvious is that there are a series of practices within the financial services industry and and more broadly uh, that simply weren't sustainable. Now, why did we not appreciate that in advance? Why did we not... uh, stop and say, well, hang on, we don't think this works. Why did we pursue value in the way that we did or value creation opportunities in the way that we did? And it's partly because we created structures that not only produce those behaviours but also reinforce them. And now we're having that received wisdom, those structures profoundly challenged and indeed you know, in a sense, the corporate landscape will never be the same again. And that's a good thing. The depressing thing would not be that there is lots of change on the way. Uh, the depressing thing would be if there isn't enough change on the way. So that, that's issue number one. Your second point about, say, the winter of discontent in Britain in uh, certainly the late 70s and early 80s and all of the industrial strife and action that was uh, present at the time, I mean, that, that's, that, in a sense, is, is I think, absolutely relevant and a good point because it plays to this issue of human capital risk but in a sense it's almost at the other end of the spectrum. So we have experienced within uh, the current economic climate um, some of the uh, dysfunctionalities arising from excessives, excesses around pay or the poor management of, of executives and or you know high uh, income earners um, 
but also the professional classes, particularly the professional white-collar classes. And it's produced a number of dysfunctionalities, and we're really feeling the pain right now. And like I said, things will never be the same again. On the flip side, with the winter of discontent, some of the dysfunctionalities there were not around the professional, the white-collar classes, but really around the working classes. So the point being, at the other end of the extreme, a series of of, uh, of, of poor structures in place resulted in a set of behaviours, a set of expectations um, that had economy-wide impl- implications in terms of employment relations, and in particular relationships between employers, employees, and then ultimately with the intervention of government. So the point is, where it all goes absolutely wrong with human capital, government has to intervene either in the form of currently bailing out banks or previously sending horses and water cannon onto the streets of Durham to intervene in what in effect was a civil war. But again, both arising out of poor employment practices. Well, didn't Marxism arise out of poor employment practices? Was there ever a golden age in in the history of the labour market where we got human capital uh, resource management right? Uh, Surely it's always there to be got wrong in a way. Well, again, that's a really interesting point. So, like I said at the beginning of the interview, in a sense, we presume that one can and should get human resource management right, or, to use economic terminology, that one can and should um, manage human capital effectively for value. Um, Now, maybe, actually, the implication of what you're saying is, no, 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 we've never really got it right. Um, We've just got it more or less wrong. Where we get it more wrong, we see... Uh, huge ramifications uh, societally. And distortions? Um, well, I, perhaps you, you could call it distortions. I'd say a series of crises, in, in a sense. And the current crisis is one example. The winter discontent is a, another example. Um, and uh, uh, so, so that's exactly right. So maybe that's where it goes completely wrong. When it goes less wrong, actually, maybe managing people effectively is really like plumbing, when the plumbing goes wrong, you need to do something about it. For the most part, when it's, when it's not going so wrong, you ignore it, or rather it's not something on your radar. OK. Do you think we're sitting here at Judge Business School in Cambridge? You are one of a, a number of people who study human resource management. Do you think it's more of a science now? We understand it better, therefore we're more likely to get it right in the future. Well, this will prove controversial with my colleagues, and I look forward to having this discussion with them. Um, But uh, actually, no, I I think, if anything, um, we have approached the subject for the past 20 years on a scientific basis, um, attempting to uh, endow ourselves and practitioners with predictive capability around this. If you do this, it will produce such and such outcomes in any given context or in this particular context. And I think what we can say is that actually what we thought we knew has been profoundly challenged and, and in effect, we, we, we're probably no better off now than we were at the beginning. We believe these things are important, but we don't yet understand how, um, and we don't also know, and this is the really key issue, perhaps why. Um, and I think, you know, for sure, certainly within research, there needs to be uh, good science, good science, but good science not at the neglect of, of good art. And, and I think it's really the issues or perhaps some of the reasons why our human resources practices, um, the way in which organisations manage human resources, aren't as effective as they perhaps always could be. Um, not that we know what that even looks like particularly, but not always effective as, as they could be is because we focus on the scientific elements. We focus on those aspects of managing people that can be quantified. Uh, pay, for example, involves numbers. And I know that sounds very crude, 
but we can rationalize it formally, we can put it down on a table, we can put it down as something tangible. Um, actually, that's not where value is won or lost. It's really in the relationships, in the relational qualities of human resources that, that we, are, I think, are really struggling. And attempting to quantify those is really, really difficult. So getting back to respect and those kind of things, you might say the French Revolution was a human capital resource management failure. But if you have to give tips for getting it right... And given that you have, you know, we now have it being more scientific and embedded within Judge Business School, what would those tips be? Well, my, my advice to practitioners is really, um, is, is actually very clear. Um, we, uh, we have, we find the comfort zone with human resources, human resource management in the design elements. There are some really elaborate designs out there for how to best, how to best manage people in context. Um, what we do much less well um, is implementation. And uh, implementation is far more complex in that respect because it precisely involves this relational, um, uh, relation, relational requirement. Um, so what we don't do very well as organisations, particularly in Western economies, I believe, is, uh, is social capital and maximising networks and relationships, capitalising upon those relationships, um, and, and in a sense uh, encouraging diffusion of, of, of respect, as you say, uh, but also understanding and expectations and knowledge uh, throughout those relationships. So, so for me, we have... Uh, a scientific corpus of literature which is driving organisations towards um, uh, certain prescriptive designs in relation to uh, management of employees and executive pay is one such example of that uh, where organisations have largely similar designs or, or approaches to how they should best manage incentives. Um, what really generates value and all of those outcomes that um, I mentioned at the beginning, so commitment, loyalty, uh, uh, productivity, performance of effort, really, but also behaviours as well. Um, you, I don't think you really do achieve those, um, certainly not solely through a, a, an effective design uh, or even perhaps even, even partially. It's really through actually just managing uh, relationships well within organisations. And I'm thinking particularly if you really want employees to perform um, ensure that their line manager has a strong relationship. That's, that's the front line in this. That, that's not a human resources issue. It's a good management issue. Um, and I think we've lost that. So we could do better and things will get better in the future? I think we could do better. Um, I'd like to think that things can, will, can be better. Um, I'm not sure things will be better. I think we need to... There's a worrying trend, certainly within industry at the moment, which is, as a result of technology, it's enabled by technology, but not driven by technology, but certainly enabled by technology is the centralisation of decision-making in our organisations, which in effect is putting discretion, authority and power in the hands of the few. Um, and uh, uh, that's in, inherently a, a risky development um, or has risks attached to it because... If you are sitting at the top of a 200,000-strong multinational organisation, are you best placed to know how people are managed and therefore how the organisation is managed in context when the con local context might be uh, the difference between a choice made in Chicago affecting uh, uh, a, a practice or behaviours or values in Cheltenham? Um, so really, um, I would like to see in the future far more discretion being pushed away from the centre through to, in effect, line management within organisations or, 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 or local management within organisations who are empowered to, um, to really manage their people uh, in context as they see fit. Um, now, 
what that requires is that we have more faith in our people, uh, our managers in particular, um, and and we invest in them more than we do in systems and processes that support centralised decision making. Um, now that's challenging for us because having that confidence is not uh, really um, something that's a, a watchword for for the current environment. We seek to mitigate our risks by centralising decisions. Um, actually, that that's precisely what's causing the problem. Dr. Jonathan Trevor, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. Thank you very much, Bonnie.